0: Yes. Well, good evening everyone. It is always my, my pleasure to, to see you even though uh, in, through these uh, circumstances uh, via Zoom. Uh, I want to, to say Happy Mother's Day to all Crescent uh, mothers and ladies. Uh, it is uh, a great joy to, to have you uh, also with us. Uh, thanks for inviting me for the privilege that it is for me to, to share God's word with you in this Easter series at Crescent. Um, last week, our brother John Kennedy introduced us uh, very well with the first character, Caiaphas. And today we will explore briefly the life of Pilate. Pilate, who we know uh, is one of the most infamous historical figures recorded in the New Testament the man who authorized the death of the Lord Jesus. He is well known for washing his hands as well as appearing in the apostles' creed. But what can his life teach us today? In what ways can his story challenge us? During the last year, I personally felt overwhelmed by all the circumstances we all went through. Since the pandemic, I felt that I did not have the control of my life and my family. We had planned to move to Peru last July, but we were stopped by the the authorities, as you know, as the pandemic situation arose. And my wife got sick and had problems with breathing. My sons struggled with their studies online. My father uh, passed away and I could not go to see my family. I honestly felt so powerless and frustrated. I do not know how you feel today, but I hope that this story will encourage you as it has encouraged me. Uh, Because this story raised the question, who has the last word? Who is in charge? The powerful, the human authorities, any other thing? This evening, I want to look at the life of Pilate primarily according to the Gospel of Luke and withdraw some applications for us at the end. I will recap the story and encourage you with a final application. So Luke describes vividly Pilate, uh, the Roman prefect of Judah, comes face to face with the Lord Jesus, the perfect King of the Jews. The historical pilot. Pilate was appointed by Emperor Tiberius in the year 26 AD to keep the Jews in order, to keep the peace, and their taxes flowing. Pontius Pilate had a successful military career. And as prefect, he commanded between 500 and to 1,000 military troops. The office involved. Military, finance, financial, and judicial responsibilities. And his presence was always required in Jerusalem, especially during the national festivals. In 1961, archaeologists discovered in Caesarea uh, a stone slab. Uh, you can see in the in the PowerPoint, a stone slab with the Latin inscription which reads, Tiberium. Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, confirming confirming in this way his title, years in power, and area of rule. Other artifacts uh, have been uh, found, such as a copper ring with inscription Pilate, and bronze coins, but the most striking were a testimony of first century historians, such as Josephus and Philo. They portray Pilate as a cruel tyrant and insensitive, and even provoked Jews. For instance, let me tell you this story. Josephus tells that when Pilate just arrived in Israel, he offered the Jews, they, they, sorry, he offended the Jews by bringing Roman standards with images of the emperor in Jerusalem. Jewish people fasted and pleaded with Pilate for five days to remove the, the images. The following day, Pilate threatened to kill them. The Jews were not impressed by this and fell down together and exposed their necks for they would rather die than transgress their law. Pilate was amazed at their resolve, and not desiring a revolution, decided to remove the images. He learned his first lesson about Jewish stubbornness. Pilate is mentioned over 50 times in the New Testament. Each gospel described in Jesus' trial in front of Pilate, but in different, in different ways. Luke introduces Pilate in his gospel in chapter thirteen. That uh, he, Luke describes how Pilate commanded that a group of Galilean worshipers should be put to death. Not only that, he ordered that their blood be mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. Imagine that. This, this of course, was unnecessary and, and show his love of his lack of respect and consideration for the Jewish people. But let's turn to the scriptures now and read the accusation in the first verses. Then The whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Before starting with the trial, we should consider two things. First, that Jesus had predicted that he will be handed over to the Gentiles for execution. Jesus is not a victim of the circumstances. He is prepared for this moment. Secondly, Jesus' trial didn't start with Pilate. If you remember, it started actually from the very beginning when he was born and when Herod decided to kill baby Jesus, the king of the Jews. The religious leaders later in the gospel's accounts, filled with envy, judged the Lord with hatred and planned to kill him. The Jewish leaders portrayed Jesus before Pilate as a potential leader of revolt. Even the whole Sanhedrin brought Jesus to Pilate because he alone possessed authority in Judea to exercise capital punishment. They had to change from accusing Jesus on religious grounds to accusing him on political grounds. They made three accusations. First, subverting the nation, like he was seducing the people from the true faith. To a Roman, this accusation will imply fomenting anti-Roman feelings. The Romans were indifferent, were not indifferent to any threats of unrest in such a vital area. But Jesus has not perverted the nation. It was already perverted. Jesus called this this nation faithless and twisted generation. The second accusation is that Jesus opposed the payment of taxes. Jesus never said that. He actually said instead, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And thirdly, claiming to be the Messiah, a king. This is partially true. Jesus is indeed a king, and the sign on his cross will proclaim this. But he was not a political threat by no means. The Lord never accepts the political overtones associated with the title. He will be king and Christ in quite a different sense, for most of his supporters may have hoped for or expected. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. How does this apply to the church? Christians, through history, have been in charge with insurrection. In some countries, the governments have accused the churches of making trouble. But sometimes, society recognizes that the church does good. During the pandemic, in many countries, the church has been able to help people. Recently, in an ECHO uh, conference, conference, uh, is reported that in one country in Central Asia, a church tried for years to be registered so that they could have their own building and meet openly. The authorities wouldn't accept them as they thought that church caused problems, troubles. But during the pandemic, they helped people and provided food and clothes and care. Now, the authorities have let them register and even given them an award for serving the town. May our integrity and our testimony be our protection against some of the false things that the church is charged with today. The prefect faces the perfect, verses 3 onwards. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, replied Jesus. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I have no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teachings. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you king of the Jews? King of the Jews might serve as a Gentile translation of Messiah. This is the charge on which Jesus will be officially condemned. It is no surprise. Surprising that Pilate says on this, the Romans took seriously a crime that directly or indirectly diminished the sovereign power of the state. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. Pilate doesn't find Jesus guilty and worthy of death sentence. However, the religious leaders insisted by saying he stirs up the people all over Judea. The people indeed have been stirred, but the Jewish leaders hide the real reason behind their concern. They are upset because his so-called incendiary teaching threatens their privileged status and control as he confronts them with the reign of God. Now, Pilate is in need of a plan to get out of this uncomfortable situation. He sends Jesus to Herod Antipas to get opinion and advice. Pilate acted carefully, for he knew that one bad decision would end his political career. Thus, the charge recorded in John 19 if you release this man you are not Caesar's friend will have had genuine power over Pilate he perceived his trouble and was anxious to pacify the Jews and please the emperor the question is who will Pilate be loyal to Herod had shown interest in seeing the lord jesus perform miracles though Pharisees later warned Jesus that Herod wanted to kill him. We would not expect this transfer to Herod to bode well for the Lord. That Herod only hoped to see a sign from from him reveals that he belongs to the evil generation that seeks a sign. Sadly, Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked the Lord. It is interesting to reflect that Herod executed John the Baptist and Pilate, Jesus. These former enemies may have reconciled with one another, but neither was reconciled with God. Luke interprets their collaboration as a fulfillment of Psalm 2. Do you remember? The kings of the earth and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. The prefect declares Jesus perfect. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence. I have found no basis for For your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. In Luke 23, Pilate declares that Jesus is innocent four times. Luke, in his writings, makes sure to prove the Lord's innocence. Herod confirms it, the repentant criminal on the cross will say that Jesus has nothing, has done nothing wrong. The centurion at the cross declares Jesus is a righteous man. Even Judas, in remorse of his betrayal, acknowledges before the leaders the innocence of Christ. This is significant for, for Luke, Not only because it shows that Jesus was not a criminal, but especially because it confirms that Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But the leaders are not interested in the Lord's innocence. They just want to kill him. So Pilate argues saying, I have examined the case through a legal examination. Even Herod, he says, who understand Jewish matters better than I, has confirmed it. Instead of sentencing Jesus to death, Pilate offers to punish him before releasing him. The punishment of an admittedly innocent man sounds cynical, but it was perhaps Pilate's way of trying to satisfy the Jewish leaders, short of actually having Jesus executed. The prefect judges the perfect, but the whole crowd shouted away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevail. So Pilate decided to grant the man. He released the man who, wa- who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Pilate continued to seek Jesus' release, but His tactics stumbled. This time, he sought to do so by allowing the people to choose. According to Roman law, an imperial magistrate could release a prisoner not yet condemned or pardon one already condemned. Pilate probably assumed that the choice will be clear cut. The people will certainly prefer to have Jesus of Nazareth released instead of the of the murderers Barabbas, but to Pilate's shock, the Jewish people cried instead for the release of Barabbas of Barabbas and the crucifixion of Jesus. Think about it; this is unbelievable. Crucifixion was a particularly barbaric form of execution, normally employed for slaves and political insurrectionists, most Jews, even Romans, found it repulsive. How can it be possible that a religious teacher may be killed in this barbaric, foreign way? The fourth declaration of Jesus's innocence emphasizes that the initiative in His condemnation comes from the Jewish leaders, not from an objective Roman assessment of the evidence. At the same time, it underlines Pilate's personal or political weakness. He recognized Jesus' innocence, but was unable or unwilling to stand up to the pressure of the crowd. This can teach us something to us as well. Even today, people may be willing to recognize Jesus as a good man or a great teacher, but they are not willing to make him their Lord and King. Luke indirectly calls us to choose size. Are we willing to confess Jesus as Lord publicly and unashamedly? stand up for what we say we believe? Maybe you have felt peer pressure at university, at school, or in your job. May the Lord help you when you feel under pressure to act in a way that is different from our Christian convictions. The prefect hands over the perfect. At the end, Pilate is a pound in the hands of those he's supposed to rule, and he allows justice to break down. The Jewish people declared, we have no king but Caesar. Can you believe that? Ironically, it is Rome which declares Jesus king, and the Jewish leaders declare Caesar their king. That's so sad. Surely they were more concerned about pre- preserving the status quo of their day. As we read the Gospels and see that Jesus' life seems to depend on the religious leaders' manipulations, the multitude's rejection, and Pilate's authority even when Jesus' destiny ends in weakness at the soldier's whips and crucifixion. We must remember that God vindicates his son by his resurrection. It was written that the Savior of the world gave up his life for the sinners of this world. So, through his death, we may have eternal life. He rose victorious, his gospel continued spreading to all the nations of the world until today. Nobody and nothing can stop the gospel. As we conclude, the question we must answer is, who is judging whom? Pilate thought he had authority to decide the future of Jesus. But the gospel show us the reality. The prefect stand before the perfect. A few years after the events of Jesus' trial and execution, Pilate was removed from office and returned to Rome. We don't know what happened to him after that, though he may have been exiled to France. On the one hand, historian Eusebius reports that Pilate ultimately committed suicide. And on the other hand, there is a legend in Christian tradition that Pilate and his wife converted to Christianity. We cannot know for sure. However, there can be no mistake that his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ changed his life forever. So what does this story teach us today? Think about it. Two powers the religious party, and the Roman authorities, combined to persecute Jesus the Christ. This, my friends, is a picture of what often happens today. We as Christians may feel overcome by the powerful of this world and the various tribulations of this life. The Gospels have been written to encourage the believers, especially when they are under trials. Even in the middle of the most difficult times today, when the world's destiny seems to be in the hands of the powerful or even completely out of our control. But even during this pandemic, the gospel continues to spread. Though the religious and political powers of the first century conquered the physical life of Jesus, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will overcome. Will overcome. He defeated death by, by his resurrection to grant hope of eternal life to all those who believe. Even if God's people go through persecution and death, the gospel will prevail. He is in control. Let me conc- conclude, dear, dear friends, by, telli- by telling you a, a short story that is close and encouraging to my heart. There was once a father who was reading a bedtime story about a hero to his son. In the middle of the story, when the hero was cornered by his enemies and seemed to be defeated, the young boy feared for the hero, and he started to cry. To encourage his son, the father skipped through the pages to the end of the book so that the boy could see his hero overcome all his enemies. Then the next time the, the father told his son the story, the boy was able to hear the story without becoming afraid because he knew the ending. Despite the hardships that the hero faced, The boy knew that in the end, the hero will prevail. The hero will be victorious. So, dear brothers and sisters, take heart, for we know the end of the story, don't we? The victory is the Lord's, and God's people will prevail. His will will prevail. We are on the winning side. Take heart, dear brothers, and help us. May the Lord help us to to see that He is in control of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word that. It is a fresh water in our pilgrimage on this world. Thank you that we find encouragement, we find peace, we find the answers all the answers. And thank you that in spite that we can see that we don't have control of our circumstances, we trust that you are in control. You are the perfect. You are in charge. And you are a loving Father. You are a loving Father who takes care of us. You know our fears. You know our circumstances, and you have promised you will be with us always. So, Lord, help us in the middle of trials and tribulations today, or fears. Help us to see the end of the story when we know that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is seated on the throne and being worshipped by all, by all the redeemed. Thank you for one day we will be reunited all together and worshipping the perfect. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.